Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Now let's really see what God's Word has to say to us about loving our neighbor. Our reading, our main text is going to be coming from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Since it's a bit of a long reading, I've asked Jordan Winslow if he would to read it for me. And we're going to click through the slides as he reads. If you'll go ahead and read that. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, and pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Thank you for that. So we're going to back up because I would like to make a few observations about this. This is probably a parable that most of us are familiar with. Uh, I even think that there are some laws and legislature that are, are built around this parable, the Good Samaritan Law. It's, it's very, very well known, this story. But there's some observations I want to bring out to us this uh, afternoon to understand uh, what it means for us to love our neighbor and what we can learn what Jesus is trying to teach her about loving your neighbor. So I'll start with observ observing this person that comes and asks Jesus this question, this lawyer. So when I think of lawyer, you know, I think of people wearing suits, working in some big building somewhere and working with code, trying to see how you can get around something or if you're, uh, you know, you're guilty or something like this. A lawyer in the Gospels, uh, these were the Jews that had um, authority over the law. They were the people that would have done a fair amount of the teaching of the law. They were the sort of people who were running around with the scribes and Pharisees. And so when, when Jesus is giving a beat down on the scribes and Pharisees, there's a lot of times some lawyers standing right there just taking this beat down. And so the lawyers were among the religious elite. And this lawyer has this question for him, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he answers him and he tells him, or actually, he answers with a question, as Jesus often did. And when he comes down to it, he says to love your God and to love your neighbor as yourself, he says you answered rightly. And this, this key insight that we get here really helps us to understand the parable that Jesus tells. It says that the lawyer wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's a, that's a key point, because if that wasn't there, I think this reading would go a lot differently. We understand that the lawyer has some sort of pretense. He's got some sort of false motive going on where he's trying to justify himself. And so Jesus tells this parable. He talks about a man that was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
And because of uh, the situation and how Jesus was always trying to teach Jews, in my mind, this man is a Jew. This man is a Jew that's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he gets mugged. And when he gets mugged, there's this Levite that goes by and just passes by without doing anything. He just looks at this person who is very likely a Jew and just doesn't do anything to help him. There was a priest who was also among the religious elites and he would, uh, of the Jews, and he looks at this man who was mugged, and he just passes by without doing anything. But then there was this Samaritan. Now, most of you probably know that the Samaritans were not the favored people of the Jewish uh, nation of, of the Jews. They, they, were, they were not liked at all. They were considered enemies. They were considered like vermin. They were not the sort of person that a Jew would want to be their neighbor. But this Samaritan is the one that helps this person that was mugged. He helps him up. He takes him to an inn. And then when he gets there he, he, and he puts him in this inn, he gives the man some money. He gives the person some money and he says, whatever more you need, I will come back and I will pay you for it. And then Jesus asked this question, who is the neighbor to the one who fell among the thieves? And, and I think it's kind of telling that the guy doesn't even say the Samaritan. It's like he can't, the lawyer who would not like the Samaritan, it's like he couldn't even bring himself to say, oh, the Samaritan was that guy's neighbor. It's the one who showed compassion on him. It's the, it's the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus is telling him to go and do likewise. So some of our observations, we need to make understand the lawyer was wanting to justify himself concerning who his neighbor was. I think this is apparent because Jesus used this as the Samaritan as the one that's going to be this guy's neighbor. And I think when he's saying, who is my neighbor? He's sort of saying, well, aren't there some people I don't have to love? Aren't there some people I don't have to show compassion on? And Jesus is trying to expose this and confront him on this. The Levite and the priest who would have typically been considered the neighbors to someone who would have been a Jew just passed right on by this person. But the Samaritan who would have been like trash to a Jew was not. But the, And the, the Samaritan, when he went to help this man, I think Jordan Winslow put it best when I was talking to him, he said he went beyond obligation to help this man. He didn't just stop at it's okay like we heard this morning. He didn't just stop at it's good. He didn't just stop at it's better. He went beyond obligation to help this man who was in need. And when I read this story and I'm thinking about loving our neighbor and we see how Jesus, he, he wants us, he wants the lawyer to love people like the Samaritan loved this person. I think that there are three teachings that come out to me about what it means to love your neighbor or what is required in loving your neighbor. And the first one deals with the immediate context of the situation when the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with this story. He's trying to get him to understand that loving your neighbor means loving everyone. There's not a single person that you can exclude from the person you consider to be your neighbor, from the person that's vermin to you like this Samaritan to your best friend. Loving your neighbor means loving everyone. From looking at the problem that Jesus was trying to expose in this lawyer, I think another thing that we can learn is that loving our neighbor requires a specific type of mindset. And we're going to address this some later. That there's a mindset that is needed in loving our neighbor that we have got to have. And the third teaching that we're going to talk about is that loving our neighbor means going beyond obligation. And that was covered in, in general principles this morning quite well. And I loved the lesson this morning. There's a lot of tie-ins to what I'm going to be talking about this afternoon. 
But these are the three things that we're going to be exploring in our loving our neighbor that I think that we can learn from the story of the Good Samaritan, but it's actually throughout Scripture. And the first one that we're going to be looking at is this loving our neighbor means loving everyone. And in particular, this means not just the person you like. In Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 47, it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? I think this is a, a passage that fits in quite well with what Jesus is trying to do with this lawyer and exposing that he apparently doesn't want to love the man who would not be his neighbor, who would not be his neighbor in quotes, so to speak, the person that he would not like. Jesus tries to expose this in people over and over again. And this is one of the places in Matthew chapter 5 where he's saying you have to love your enemy. You don't just love the people who do good to you. You don't just love the people who are your brethren, the people who are like you, who share the same heritage as you. No, that's easy. That's not hard. Everybody does it. Even the sinners do that. You love the people who it's hard to love. You love the people that you don't like. That's your enemy. That's the person who spitefully used you and persecuted you. You know that guy that stabbed you in the back to get the, the, the position above you at work? You know, the guy who somehow lied about something so you'd have to work on the weekend and he wouldn't. You know, that classmate that gets on your nerves to no end. That's the person you're supposed to love and you're supposed to pray for. Loving your neighbor is not just exclusive to the people you feel like loving, even though a lot of times that's pretty hard. But loving your neighbor extends to every single individual that you come across. As Jesus was trying to explain here, as well as in the parable that we read. The second thing that I said we were going to talk about was loving your neighbor. There's a specific mindset that's needed. And I think that when we read the situation with the lawyer, what we see is that Jesus was trying to confront the partiality of the lawyer by making the Samaritan out to be the sort of person that would be his neighbor. That he had a lot of partiality in his heart and he had a lot of prejudices against certain people. And Jesus is exposing this. That you got this person that you think is vermin. Look how great he is in this story helping this guy out. Those two people you respect, the Levite and the priest, they just walked right on by. They didn't even help the guy. He's trying to expose some prejudices that this person has. He's trying to expose that you can't just write people off because they belong to a certain group of people. You cannot do this. This is not a mindset that is beneficial or helpful in loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor means having a mindset that says, you know, each person I come across can be my neighbor, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been. This person can be my neighbor, no matter what my family thinks about it, no matter what my friends think about it. This person can be my neighbor because Jesus Christ says he can be my neighbor. Another mindset that comes to mind when I think about loving your neighbor and what's needed is I was thinking about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this love chapter. And there's a particular part in here I want to draw out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, it says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I want to talk about this believes all things. I think it's a bit of a weird phrase. It took me a while, I think, to understand what in the world that means. I don't think this is talking about being naive and thinking everyone's going to treat you all hunky-dory and everything. The Bible talks about how people are going to persecute you and drag you out into the streets and things like this. Okay, This is not being naive. 
This is also not taking into taking these people who do you wrong and do you wrong and never show any repentance and never forgive about it and just you know thinking, oh, they're not going to treat me wrong next time. It's not being naive, but believing all things is choosing when you don't have any evidence otherwise to believe the person, to believe that someone that you love, when they said something that hurt your feelings, didn't mean to unless the evidence presents itself otherwise, right? I mean, sometimes it's like, all right, I actually meant to hurt your feelings. But a lot of times what happens, like what Craig's great confession this afternoon, this morning, I mean, he didn't know. You know, if, if I was not believing all things and loving my brother Craig, then I would say, you know what? He knew that Jesse was supposed to be in charge. and He decided to run all over her. That would not be believing all things. Believing all things is... is is believing that even though they didn't know, that they didn't mean for whatever they did to be hurtful without any other evidence to support it. And I think a lot of times we can get they build these mind monsters where we are just convinced that this person meant to hurt my feelings. They said that thing. They knew how that would make me feel. They did that thing. They knew how that would make me feel. They just didn't care. And we can begin to believe these things about our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not the mindset that's helpful in loving your neighbor. This is not the mindset that's going to help you say, you know what, I'm going to show compassion on that person. It's the sort of mindset that, dr that drives walls and wedges between you and other people. And it's not the mindset that is helpful in loving your neighbor. Another mindset is that that person deserved that misfortune. I think about the, the, the people in the Gospels. You know, they talk about the Tower of Siloam and the people who were slaughtered. They, they thought people deserved what they got. And this was not a mindset that was helpful in loving individuals. Along with that, I think about this person's poor because he or she won't get a job. I've had that thought. I know some, I, I see someone who is poor. I hear about someone on welfare or I see someone getting food stamps or something like that. I see someone with an EBT card and my first instinct is to think, oh, they just won't get a job. That's why they got that card. I mean, how shameful. I don't even know the person. I'm not trying to say those people don't exist, but I'm just saying I don't know that person. I'm sitting there judging them without knowing them. How helpful is it for me loving my neighbor as myself if I'm sitting there ridiculing them before I even know who they are? It's not helpful. It does not. It's not best as we learned this morning. It's not going to get the job done in loving your neighbor. And then there's, a, there's, there's all sorts of stereotypes we can throw people under. This person's going to be bad, just like all the other people they can, they're, they're around or I can associate them with. I'm not saying that stereotypes have no place whatsoever in the way we make decisions, but when you come across a person you've never met before, if you're sitting there thinking they're just going to be like, just like the last guy, how hard is it going to be to love your neighbor? How hard is it going to be to treat this person with compassion when you're presuming that they're going to be uh, malicious just like the last person or lazy just like the last person or selfish just like the last person. There's a mindset that is needed in loving your neighbor. It's the mindset that, that, the, that the lawyer in the story did not have when he assumed that every Samaritan was going to be like every other Samaritan. It's the mindset that the lawyer didn't have when he was believing the worst about someone he, he didn't know. And we need to be careful in our life we need to reflect on our attitudes. We need to reflect on, on our mindsets. Because right here, right now, you may be thinking, I don't think these things. Or maybe you are thinking, oh yeah, I do think these things. But if you don't think you think these things, just give it a moment. 
when you get through the end of your week and you reflect on all the conversations you heard in the political realm and you get through the end of the week and you think about everything you heard at work, what went through your head when you were thinking about people you didn't know? What were you thinking about people who maybe said something that hurt your feelings? Were you trying to believe the best about them? Or were you allowing yourself to drive a wedge between you and them mentally and making it harder on yourself to love your neighbor as yourself? Why don't you give the other person the same grace you give yourself? How about that? That's the mindset that's needed in loving your neighbor. You've made mistakes, so has that person. Let's not make assumptions. The third teaching that we're going to address is this loving your neighbor means going beyond obligation. I think this is extremely tough because even with the people you like, it's hard to go beyond obligation. But we don't even have to we don't even get to stop there. No, we gotta go, we gotta go to our enemy. And we gotta love our enemy beyond obligation. Romans chapter 12, 17 through 21. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Speaking of going the bare minimum, since that's the opposite of going beyond obligation, and that's what we were talking about this morning, was giving your best. When I think it comes to your enemy, I think you're doing the, your bare minimum, and this is where I like to settle, when, when my enemy does something bad to me and I just choose not to return it. That's what, to me, that's where I think I should be. But that's not what it says, is it? It says, when your enemy does something evil to you, return them with good. Let me give you an, uh, an example. You're sitting, you're coming, you're driving down the road. You know, everyone sees road rage, right? You're driving down the road, and for once in your life, you decide to slow down at the yellow light, okay? And the person behind you is just furious. I mean, they're shouting profanities at you from behind you. They're cursing you. They're slamming their steering wheel. They're giving you all sorts of hand gestures and so on and so forth. They're mad at you. All right, here's, here's what you don't do, right? You don't just like, do. here's what I want to do, okay? When I get in that situation and, it's lot, and we start going, if it's a two-lane road, especially if it's a one-lane road, man, I just want to drive really slow. I want to get right next to another vehicle if it's a two-lane road that's driving slow, and I'm going to say right there. They can't pass me. They can't pass the other person. They're just stuck. That's revenge, okay? That's not vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That's vengeance is mine. I will repay. Dustin Gaskins says that, and that's wrong. All right, now here's the bare minimum. I'm going to pretend like I never saw it. I'm going to drive like I normally would. I'm going to drive as if I never saw that happen. And I'm just going to drive. If I would pass the person, I would pass the person. If I get over, I get over. I'm going to do the bare minimum. But this is what going beyond obligation looks like with your enemy. It's, a, it's, it's this mindset that says, you know, that person's obviously so mad. Let me do them a favor, and I'm going to get over as soon as I possibly can and let them pass me. I'm going to do everything I can to do something good for this person and let them pass me if they can. It's not just doing the bare minimum of like, oh, I'm just going to ignore it. It's I'm, I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to choose to acknowledge what has happened here and choose to repay them with something that is good. I think I've done a great job when someone stabs me in the back 
and I just choose to ignore it. But that's not what he's saying. Don't choose to ignore it. Acknowledge it and return it with something good. That's going beyond obligation with your enemy. That's going beyond obligation with the person who annoys the mess out of you at work, at school, or wherever it is. That's going beyond obligation. In the story of the Good Samaritan, we see the Samaritan, he, he was good and he was, he was generous to someone that was poor and needy. This person was in great need. And I think this is something that uh, I don't reflect a lot on in the story, um, but it is something that is present in the story, that there is a need to go beyond obligation with people who are poor and who are needy. And that's reflected in the story and it's reflected in another teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, Jesus said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When I think about doing the bare minimum, of just trying to love someone who's poor and needy. This doesn't. This is not what it looks like, you know. Inviting them over to my party, inviting them over to my house. I mean, that's that's going beyond obligation. And even more than that, it's not inviting the people you really enjoy spending time with. It's inviting people who you might not enjoy spending time with: the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. You know, sounds like a bunch of party poopers to me, right? I mean, let's be honest. That's what it sounds like. I'm having a party. I want to have a good old time. I want to invite the people who have all the same interests as me. I'm going to invite some people from church over. I'm going to get all these people over, and I'm going to have a great time. It's going to be wonderful. None of these party poopers are going to be here. But this does not look like that. This looks like, let me bless this person that's poor. Let me bless this person who's lame, who's blind, who's just needy. Let me do something for them that they could never repay me for. I'm going to give them my best. I'm not just going to give them the clothes I don't want anymore in November or October. I'm not just going to give them my leftovers. I'm going to get my favorite meal, chicken and dumplings. I'm going to give that to this person who's hungry. I'm going to give them my best. That's going beyond obligation. And when I think about the poor and needing giving to them, I'm reminded of the, the Proverbs 31 with the virtuous woman. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. And so I don't really like standing up here and telling ladies what they have to do. But this is something ladies should be thinking about doing. If you want to be the virtuous woman, you want to be the virtuous wife, extend your hand to the poor. Reach out your hand to the needy. And this isn't always easy. Jesse dealt with this a couple weeks ago when she came across someone who needed some help and a bunch of people pitched in trying to give them a heater and some blankets. Y'all, some of y'all may remember this. And Jesse just got the cold shoulder from this lady for like a week. And I'll tell you what, it was hard to it was hard to feel like giving this person some help after getting the cold shoulder for a week, but eventually she came around and they were able to meet up and she was able to help her. It's hard. It's hard to help people who don't even seem to want to help themselves. But where would you be without Jesus? I don't know this person's story, but what I do know is there's a lot of people that don't have Jesus, and I'm sitting there judging them by the same sort of credentials I judge myself when I have Jesus. There are some poor people, some needy people, they don't have Jesus, and I can't judge them by the same standard that we judge Christians because I don't know them. I get to know them, I figure out they know Jesus. All right, then yeah, we're going to help them. We're going to do it. 
And even if I don't, I'm not going to judge them by the same standard I judge myself because if they don't know Jesus, how can I? You know, it doesn't make sense. I would be nowhere without Jesus Christ. You would be nowhere without Jesus Christ. And we sit here and say, oh, well, I work for a living. I'm, I'm good. Why don't they work for a living? You don't know what chains they are under. You don't know what weights they are under. Give them Jesus. Give them help. Love them. Go beyond obligation and loving the poor and the needy. The last group of people that we have to go beyond obligation is Christians. And I said, I started by saying this is hard even with people we like. And this is the people I'm talking about. It's really, it's the, the easiest person to go up beyond obligation with is Jordan, Jordan, and Jesse, you know, because I'm around them a lot. I'm good friends with them. They're my brother and sister in Christ. But it's still hard sometimes because I'm selfish. I want my time. I want me time. I want Netflix. I want that new Brahms chocolate milk that I got. I want those things just to enjoy myself. But we're supposed to love our neighbor, love our brother and sister in Christ beyond obligation. And there's in some sense where it's got to start here. First Timothy 2 talks about how I'm not going to read it. It talks about how you do good unto all people, especially those of the household of faith. And it also talks in that book about how uh, you're basically an infidel if you don't take care of your own. We need to go beyond obligation our loving our brother and sister in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-4, through 4, I think we get a picture of what this looks like. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. This is describing a group of people who were in poverty, who had nothing, and they still chose to give of their financial means to people. That's going beyond obligation. I mean, it seems completely reasonable to tell someone, man, I'm really hurting for money right now. I'm sorry I can't give you any. That sounds about the most reasonable thing in the world when withholding some cash from someone. But that's not what they did. They say, you know, we're hurting for money, but so are you. Let me help you out real quick. Let me send you some money. Some denarii. You said that way better than I would have. They, they went beyond obligation giving even when they lacked. Okay? And this is money, but I think there's a whole lot more resources that we have that we can feel like we're lacking and we can give it. I'll tell you one, energy. You know, when my toddler just wore me out by the end of the evening after work, the last thing I want to do is give her 30 more minutes because I'm worn out. I gave her all my energy. No, 30 more minutes. It's okay, Dustin. You can sleep later, sleep in heaven, whatever it is. You can get your rest. When I'm just worn out because of work and family and church, and then one of my brothers says, you know what, I'm moving this weekend. You want to help? <laughs> no, I'm tired. But going beyond obligation says, you know what, I'm tired, but I could probably move some stuff around. I can give up something to help my brother or sister out. And not just energy, that's time. I'll tell you, that's the thing that I struggle with the most. If you ever ask me to do something, I'm probably going to say, I don't have time. Okay, that's probably my biggest excuse. I don't have time. Time is money, right? <laughs> we, we can be lacking in time in our own perception. But we can probably put something on the other side. It's all about your priorities. Are you going to prioritize loving your brother or sister in Christ? Are you going to make that a priority? 
Are you going to really seek to help your brother and sister in Christ going beyond obligation in doing this? Or are you going to make excuse after excuse after excuse like that Levite and priest did in the story of the Good Samaritan? They probably saw that guy and said, I don't have time for this. i got to go you know, offer a lamb somewhere. They could have had any number of excuses for not helping this guy out. What excuses do we make? When someone is in need, whether it's your brother or sister in Christ, your family member. And I don't just mean the ones that are your best friends. I mentioned Jordan, Jordan, and, and Jesse. But I mean, you know, the person who sits over here and maybe you don't talk to them as often or something. you got to help your brother out. you got to help your sister out. And you need to be willing to go beyond obligation. There's none of this, well, I, I helped some. I went the bare minimum and I helped them a little bit. We should be willing to go above and beyond in helping our brothers and sisters in Christ because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. I don't have this in the slide. I decided after the lesson this morning that I was going to read this. If you want to get, turn, open up your Bibles. I was just really convicted by this, this morning, the morning's lesson. If you'll turn to Philippians for those of you who know that Philippians 2 is my favorite chapter, you're probably surprised it wasn't in this lesson to begin with. But we're going to go to Philippians 2. We're going to read this. Uh, we ended this morning thinking about what would Jesus do. And when it comes to loving your neighbor, loving your brother and sister in Christ, loving your enemy, I want to ask what would Jesus do? Let's read Philippians chapter 2 real quick, 1 through 8. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comforts of love, if any fellowship of the spirits, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You know what that means, right? You think your needs are more important than your brother's, but they're not. That's what that means. Esteem others better than himself. That means you think that your rest is more important than your brother's rest or your sister's rest, but it's not. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and becoming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So we want to talk about what would Jesus do? How would Jesus love his enemy, which was us while we were still sinners? Romans 5 tells us how would Jesus love his church, his people, his brothers and sisters? How would he love them? He left heaven and became a man. He was equal with God and became a man. He didn't just become any man. He lived the life of a servant. He didn't come here and live the life of a king and get his feet washed. He lived the life of a servant and washed everyone else's feet. And he didn't just live the life of a servant and die the life of a servant. He went one step further and he died the death of a criminal. And he did that to show you what it means to love your neighbor. He did that to show you what great love God has for you. And how you should be extending that love to everyone around you. There's no holding back in the mind of Christ that we're supposed to be putting on. 
It is going beyond obligation. And I challenge you this afternoon, as you're about to go into your week, as you're about to enter into the work week or whatever it is for you that you do Monday through Friday, I'm challenging you to think about the people that you come in contact with. What can you do to help these people? What can you do to encourage these people and point them to Christ? What need can you meet? And what excuses are you making? If there's anyone here this afternoon that's struggling to have the love of Christ, we would love to help you to put on Christ and become more like Him in your love for your brother and sister in Christ, your enemy, and the needy and poor. We would love to help you if you sit on the front pew as we stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.